The following audio is from Redemption Church. More information about our church can be found at www.redemptionchurchlacombe.org. Take your Bible, turn me to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and if you're not sure where that's at, you can look in your table of contents, but it's in the New Testament. It's the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark, Mark chapter 9. Uh, I would encourage you, if you have something to take notes with, that you would do so. My heart's desire for you as a church, as you hear me say, my desire is for you not just to be a receiver, but to be a reproducer. I long for you to know the Word, to study the Word, to reproclaim that Word. When you came in today, you also had those prayer cards that were on your seats, and those prayer cards that's on your seat, uh, my encouragement to you with those is that if you have a prayer need, that you can write on that prayer card, whether that's for church family to be prayed for you, or if it's private. You will see some of those cards actually here on our stage. And today, during our response time, we're going to invite you again, as you did last week, if you have a need, maybe an additional one, that you want your church family to pray over, you can bring that card, you can lay that here on the stage, and you can pray over those cards, lay it here. If it's for us as a staff, you can place it in the basket. Those of you who may not have a need, but maybe you want to pray for your church family, I would invite you to come during our, our invitation response time just to come and to kneel. We did that this past Wednesday night, and it was a wonderful, sweet time of prayer this past Wednesday night of worship. And I would just encourage you, we have a couple of other opportunities during this month of prayer time. Uh, In regards to being able to come together as a church, we will do that again this Wednesday night. We'll have time. We'll worship. I'll do some small uh, teaching on praying, and then we will pray together. And then we'll have some fellowship time. If you weren't here last week, you missed the king cake and you missed the cookies after our prayer time. I don't want you to come just for king cake. We want you to come and pray, but we will have some time to fellowship together afterwards to be able just to spend some time as a church family. But tonight we have one more prayer gathering that's going to be in homes. We have homes that people have opened up their homes in Slidell, Pearl River, Lacombe, and in Covington area. And I would encourage you to sign up for that. You need to sign up by two o'clock. It will close at two o'clock today so we can make certain that we have spots for everyone. Our first Slidell location is full. And so our second location opened up that Stephen Eve Spires home. They've opened up their home to you. So there's places for you. When you sign up, you'll see the number of spots that's left. If that gets full, you can see the other places that are available. Let me encourage you to do that. We're simply going to get together at 6 o'clock tonight, fellowship together briefly, and then just pray. Just simply seeking the face of God. That's our heart's desire. This month is just seeking God to do great things. We'll have prayer guides for you. If you haven't signed up already and you sign up, then you'll be contacted this afternoon with the address of where we're going to be meeting. past couple of weeks through this month of prayer, I've challenged you on different aspects of prayer and the Word. Three weeks ago, we looked at Matthew chapter 6 in regards to praying and fasting so that we could be able to focus on God afresh this year in 2024. We looked at what Jesus talked about prayer and fasting. Oftentimes you may hear about prayer, but maybe not much about fasting. We do talk about that quite frequently here as a church and challenging you to add that to your prayer life. We talked about fasting being something that we do to take ourselves away from a meal to fast from that so we can focus our attention more so on God and put our petition before him. Matthew 6, Jesus talked about the expectation of fasting. Then he taught us in regards to the reward of fasting. And we talked about the different ways that we can pray and fast that we see throughout Scripture. People who were desperate for God, just wanted to meet with God, confession and repentance for God. There's different ways by which people fasted and prayed. And I challenge you this month, If there's some petition or need or urgency that you have 
is to lay that before God and find a time once a week or multiple times a week to just to fast and pray over those things and just believe God to hear you. Two weeks ago, we looked at Joshua chapter 1. And we looked at being strong and courageous and successful in God's word. And we looked at how God gave Joshua a huge task to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And God gave him some criteria in regards for his success. Those criteria, number one, was that he had to be obedient to all of the word of God and not turn to the right or to the left of the word. Those expressions were meaning that he was not to have any kind of correction to the word of God. He was not to be something he would compromise on the word of God. And we talked about how that we can be prone to turn to the right or the left by our negligence or by our compromise or by our willful disobedience. God has giving us his word. And if we want to be successful in regards to our lives, it is us doing what God wants us to do with the word of God. God also told Joshua he needed to meditate on the word day and night. He told him he needed to be proclaiming the word of God. And to do that, we talked about in the context of that, it's not like he had multiple copies of the book like you and I have, but they had to get a scroll and to be able to study that in order for him to teach that word of God and how easy and blessed we are to be able to have God's word that we can study the word of God to teach the word of God and that's what we want to encourage you to be able to do so as well last week we looked at Jeremiah chapter 29 how we are called to live as exiles for King Jesus we looked at the context and how the people of Judah were living in Babylon they were not in their homeland they were exiles and we talked about how we as Christians who are followers of Jesus are in exile meaning this place this earth your address is not your permanent home Our permanent home is going to be with God and how we need to live in regards to that mindset to realize we're not just here just trying to bank a 401k and just trying to leave something for our family. No, we're here for the kingdom. And we talked about how we saw in that passage of scripture that God told Jeremiah and the people says, look, while you're in exile, says pray for the welfare of the city. Make certain that you're seeking me with your whole heart and then you will find me. We looked at that as a challenge in our own lives of how we need to make certain that we are doing that. So last Sunday, we actually went out. We did a prayer walk. We went and prayed for people. We went and met people. We had about 50 people who went out. Praise God for all of you who went, that we got to meet people, pray for them. And it was an opportunity for us. Pray and seek the welfare of the city. But if we want God, if we really want to meet him, God is not simply hiding behind a bush and can't be found. Seek him while we want him, and he says, we will find him. I gave you the illustration. It's not like hide and go seek where someone goes, hides, and we've got to find him. And the issue is that God is very willing to be open and found. We just have to go to him and run to him. He's willing to be able to reveal himself fully to us. That's the heart behind our month of prayer and the word, is that we want to seek him passionately, genuinely, authentically. I want more of him. I want us to want more of him. I want you to want more of him. Today we come to Mark chapter 9. We're going to come to a passage of scripture where Jesus is going to challenge some disciples, a father, and a scribes, some scribes in regards to the need for prayer and a weak faith that they all demonstrated because what they were trying to accomplish was not being answered. Some of us probably in this room have probably prayed for certain things and we've not gotten an answer. We're wondering, well, is it us? It could be. Simply because we don't get things answered doesn't necessarily mean that we have 
enough faith or lacking faith or could be not God's will. But we look in this passage of Scripture and we are going to see there may be times where certain things don't come to be because it may be that we're actually not praying with certain faith and genuine authentic faith, believing that God is able to do it. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is going to say a word to the Father in this story that all things are possible for those who believe. All things are possible for those who believe. Now listen closely to me. I'm going to explain this to you in this passage. Just because it's possible is not guaranteed that it's going to come to fruition. Everybody understand that? We can't treat Jesus and God like a genie bottle. There's not like this magic potion. But I want to say this to you from the very beginning. I'm going to say it a couple times in this sermon. What you believe about God affects how you pray to God. What you believe about God affects how you pray to God. Meaning, if you don't think that he's really able to do something, then you're going to pray half-heartedly. But if you believe all things are possible, and if you believe that his will is what's best, you can pray with great confidence And you can pray trusting that God who is your Father, who is sovereign over all things, will do what is best in His time and in His way. So I want to encourage us today, when we're talking about this month of prayer in the Word, I want to encourage you. Many of you have laid lots of various requests on this stage. We have prayed for them as a staff. Your church family has prayed over all of these. But that means we can still pray over them. Some of you have some heavy things that you're praying about. Some of you have sickness that you're asking healing for. Some of you have broken relationships that you want restored. Some of you need some direction for things of your life. We have kids who's praying for restoration with grandparents and family members. We have people who are lonely, needing healing. We have people who are under addiction, who need to be delivered. And I want to encourage you with this truth this morning, that everything that's on this stage is possible with God. And whatever you've not written down, I want you to hear me this morning. Everything is possible with God. If we have a God who can create the universe simply through his spoken word, anything is possible with God. Some of you have come in here discouraged, defeated, beat down, and maybe you've prayed for a long time. Listen to me. Just because you've prayed for 20 years for something doesn't mean that God's not hearing you. What we believe about God affects how we pray. And it may be that God is working when we can't see him. And maybe he's going to answer in year 21 or year 22. But we must pray believing. Let's read the story that's in front of us. Mark chapter 9 verses 14 through verses 29. One of my favorite stories actually in the gospel of Mark because of what Jesus says here in this passage of scripture regarding prayer and belief. Here's the story. Let me kind of set the stage for you as we launch into verse 14. Jesus in this earlier part of this chapter has actually been up on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. It's actually where Jesus has gone up to the mountain with Peter, James, and John and he gets transfigured where they got to get to see him in some the glory aspect of Jesus. In that moment, the Bible tells us Peter didn't really know what to say because Elijah shows up 
And Moses shows up. And so Peter's like, he, you know, Peter is known kind of as open up his mouth, insert his foot oftentimes throughout the scriptures. And so he's like, hey, you know, it'd be really good if we built a tent, one for you, Jesus, one for Elijah and one for Moses, because he wants to just kind of hang there. He just wants to stay there. And then God speaks from the sky, from the heavens and says, hey, I'm paraphrasing this now. You need to listen to my son. And then when they open up their eyes, all that's there is Jesus, Elijah, and Moses is not there anymore. And so they've had this amazing worship moment on the mountain, seeing Jesus in all his glory, and they come down the mountain, and guess what they run into? High fives, hallelujahs? No, they run into an argument, and they run into a scene where the Satan and his demons are on display. Anybody sound like that scene in your life? Anybody had a great Sunday morning, a great worship time, a great small group time? You get in the car, you get home, everything kind of falls apart? Or you had a great Sunday, and you're ready to take on hell with a water pistol on Monday, and you walk in the office and everything falls apart? Guess what? The demonic realm is real. He's against us. And 1 Peter 5 tells us that the adversary is roaring around seeking someone to devour And this passage of scripture shows us that you can be in a moment that's high and you can be in the great glory, but guess what? The demons are still at work. And in this passage of scripture, we have the apostles, the disciples, who are going to be challenged because they couldn't conquer the demon that was at work in this boy's life. Jesus is going to challenge them that the way by which to deal with this is through simple truths that we don't ever need to remember. It's why we begin our year every year with a month of prayer in the Word. Jesus is going to challenge them that this isn't possible unless you are more prayerful. You would think, what's the formula? What's the equation? Isn't it amazing that sometimes we try to make Christianity more complex than what it really is? Believing and following. We talk about this quite frequently. What did Jesus begin his ministry with? He says, repent, believe, and what? Follow. Y'all know it. That's what he's called us to do. And I want you to see in this passage of scripture that in this scene, you say, well, I don't, I'm not dealing with demonic possession. Well, guess what? These things that's on this stage may seem paramount and may seem supreme to you, obviously, or you wouldn't have put them here. And you may feel that although this scene is not your scene, you may feel like you're right here and you're wondering like what this father feels like. God, is this even possible for you to fix this, heal this, redeem this, restore this? So if that's you this morning, I just simply want you to own up to that confession. Just to simply say, God, I am having a hard time believing you. Because guess what? He already knows what you're thinking. So it's better for us just to be honest with him and tell him what our struggle is so then he can begin the work in us. Because that's what happens with the father in this story. When he confesses his doubt, God begins to work. Let's read the story. Verse 14. And I say story, not parable. This is not a parable. This is not something that's just made up. This is something that actually took place. And when they... 
came to the disciples. Now, the they that's being referred to right here, according to verse 2, is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So here's a scene, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus coming down from the mountain. When they get down, there's a scene that's taking place. you got some disciples that are there, the other nine. you got a crowd of people, and you have some scribes and this father who has a sick child. That's the scene. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, meaning the disciples, and scribes were arguing with them, meaning the scribes are arguing with the disciples. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, meaning Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. He answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some of your translations may have the addition by prayer and fasting. There are three problems that I want you to see that Jesus addresses in this passage of Scripture. As he comes down from the mount, we're going to see the problems, and then we're going to talk about the issue that is there in regards to the three groups that are here, the scribes, the father, and the disciple in regard to their faithlessness. So what are those three problems that Jesus encounters? The first one is the arguing scribes, that he comes down and he sees them. You see it there? That's there in verse 14. He comes down, he sees the scribe, and the scribes are arguing with them, the disciples. That's who they're arguing with. Now, after that moment, we don't actually hear them say anything else after this moment. We don't see anything that's replied by them. So why do you think the scribes would be arguing with the disciples? Well, do you understand who the scribes are? The scribes are a religious group that were out of the Pharisees. There were two main religious groups of Jesus' day. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were religious Jews. They both were Jewish. The Sadducees only believed and held to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Pharisees held to all of the Old Testament law, but they also loved to add on additional rules to the laws. They had some kind of 600 additional rules and laws that they would be able to add to those things. The scribes came out of the Pharisees. 
Not every Pharisee was a scribe, but the scribes were all from the Pharisees. The scribes were also known as those people who would write down the law. They would uh, be able to transcribe, to be able to take those scrolls and copy those. That's what the scribes were known for. So they were kind of the interpreters of the law. But I want you to understand something. The scribes here are arguing with the disciples because the scribes do not like Jesus at all. They are opposed to him completely and fully. From the very beginning of the ministry, the scribes, when they realized that they were actually going to be challenged by Jesus and his teaching and his authority because they were calling them, he was calling them to the carpet in regards to their lack of their belief. They wanted to kill him from the very beginning. Let me show this to you. Keep your finger there, Mark 9. Turn back to Mark chapter 3. And I want you to see from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, they set out to find a way to kill Jesus. And this is going to make sense when we get back to Mark 9. You'll understand why the scribes are arguing with the disciples. We're going to look at verse 6. So this context here, Mark chapter 3, there's a man with a withered hand and Jesus heals him and he heals him on the Sabbath day. That's a whole other thing that just stirred them up so big. Jesus didn't care if it was on the Sabbath day. Someone needed healing. Someone needed to be raised from the dead. Someone needed to be saved. He's going to do the work of God. But what happens he does this, he heals the man, and then notice in verse 6, it says the Pharisees, remember the scribes are a part of the Pharisees, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him of how to destroy him. You need to understand something significant about that passage of Scripture. The Herodians were Jewish people who were people who loved and were favored toward the Roman system. They were at odds with one another. The Pharisees and the Herodians were. The Pharisees didn't want the Romans there. The Herodians were fine with it, but now they're coming to alliance to put their agreements or disagreements aside for the one purpose they're going to find a way to kill Jesus. So all the Gospels, when you see the Pharisees and the scribes show up and when they're asking questions, don't think that they have some genuine interest in their question. They're simply trying to find a way to trap and kill Jesus. So you get to Mark 9, and Jesus is not with his disciples. Fresh bait for the scribes. They show up, and the disciples have not been able to heal this boy. So for them, the followers of Jesus have always been around Jesus. And so if they're not able to do this, then it's a way by which they can throw darts at the disciples and throw darts at Jesus himself. Because if they're doing it, quote unquote, in the name of Jesus and they're not able to do it, it's a way by which that all the crowd who was also there, that they could put doubt in their minds. You understand it's not just the scribes and the disciples. It's the crowd, the disciples and, and the scribes. So if they can argue with them and Jesus shows up, and this is what I want you to understand something, they don't get a chance to say another word after he shows up. Because they know he has authority. And he's already put them in their place several times. This is who the argument is happening with. It's their motive. We know that their motive is to try to be able to put Jesus to death. Now look just one chapter before. Jesus has told the disciples. He's warned them about the scribes. Just look back at chapter 8 and look at verse 31. Jesus is telling them what's going to happen to him and the involvement of the scribes. And he began to teach them. This is 831. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Well, guess who shows up after the transfiguration? Who's there on the scene? The scribes. 
So what's their motive? They simply want to find a way to kill Jesus. If they can do that through the disciples, they want to belittle and diminish the work of Jesus as much as possible. May I say to you, there may be people today that may not have the title scribe, but that idea and that sentiment is still prevalent. There's going to always be people that Satan is using to try to come against the work of Christ. That's why John, the apostle, wrote his epistles. And in 1 John, he says that there are many antichrists and they are already here. Remember what Jesus also said? If you're not for me, you are against me. There's always going to be people. So if you say, man, just woe is me. Stop the woe is me. As long as we're in this world and we're following Jesus, there's going to be people who are opposed to the gospel of Christianity and you. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So the scribes are just simply representing for us people who are even in our society today. But let me just show you something of what's significant. The scribes are supposed to be religious people. Supposed to be people close to God. But do you notice what was said about the crowd and what they believed and what they see about the scribes versus Jesus? Look at verse 15. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, meaning Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Guess who they're not running up to? The scribes. Because there are people that are just outwardly religious. There's nothing in them that has life. There's nothing in them that is bringing hope to this situation. May that not be us. We who wear the name of Christ and who are followers of Jesus Christ, people should come to us because we actually have the life in us that Christ says that he came to give us. We should be living, exuding the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives when come, people come to us. Does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. But they're not running to them. But notice also who, they, who this father didn't bring his sick boy to. Do you notice that? Look at verse 17. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And then verse 18 tells us that since he wasn't there, the father took him to the disciples. Guess who he didn't take them to? The scribes. The people who were supposed to be teachers of the law, owning the law, transcribing the law, weren't people that were being pursued for the power of God. Listen closely. We're talking about the month of prayer and the word. We want you to be people of the word. We want you to be people of prayer. We don't want you just to be an outward symbol of religion. We want the word to be in you. We want Christ to be in you. We want him to change you. We want to be able to tap into the power of God and call upon God. You all have people that if there's something desperate going on in your life, you probably right now, if I said, what top three people would you call if you needed someone right now to pray for you? You probably could say, I would call this person, this person, and this person. You know what I'm talking about? Nod your head. Because there's people you say, man, not that they're more perfect than you, not that they are better than you, but you say, man, those people are walking with God. And you say, where is scripture behind that? Because James chapter 5 tells us that the prayer of a righteous person avails much. Meaning someone who's walking with the Lord. Can God hear all of us? Certainly he could. But when we're walking close to the Lord, that's what the whole passage of Isaiah 59, 1 that we've been talking about The Lord's ears are not dull to hear, but verse 2 says it's our transgression that keeps him far from us. 
I would pray when we look at this passage of Scripture, as we talk about all these things, that we would be people who are believing and walking with the Lord, that when someone comes to us, that we can pray and believing that God can heal. Well, what's the second problem? It's not just these scribes. The second problem that's actually here is the fact that there's a demon-possessed boy that could not be healed. Do you understand that there's a reality happening here? It's a situation. This boy has a, a demon in him. It's causing him to be thrown against the ground. Think about this with me. Think about concussions and the way by which that this demon is taken over this child. All of this is happening at the same time Jesus is having this conversation and arguing with religious people when there's someone desperately needs help. So what's happening? The father, look at what the father describes about this son. Verse 17. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Don't you understand? It doesn't fall down. It throws him down. So he's out of control. And then it later tells you there, when Jesus sees the boy, verse 20, he gives further explanation of what happened. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground, rolled about, and foaming at the mouth. Now, I know what some of you immediately probably think. Man, the boy just got epilepsy. He's just got seizures. Now, there's certainly the evidence and symptoms of those things. And some of you who have had family or friends who've had epilepsy, you know this can be symptomatic of those particular things. But we have to make certain that we understand the scripture that's being said here. If we say he just has a medical condition, then you have to take out the second half of the story. Because Jesus said to a demon, come out of him. Now, Before you draw a second conclusion, this does not mean that every sickness is a result of some kind of demonic possession. This is the scene that is here. So I don't want you to make two and two and say, oh, pastor says every sickness is because of a demon. No, that's not true. Because if you, some of you who are believers and now the Holy Spirit in you have been fighting a crud for weeks. That doesn't mean that you had a demon. But we need to make certain that we understand the serious nature of this passage of scripture. There was a demon that was there, and it was manifesting itself in this particular way. Now listen closely to me. I wanna, this will be another teaching, but I want to kind of give you a little snippet here. The demonic realm, as I mentioned to you, is a very real thing. And sometimes the demonic realm may manifest itself, but according to what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, that Satan masquerades like an angel of lights. So he's not always, the demonic spirits are not always manifesting themselves just to be very prominent and visible. They're going to manifest themselves more in subtle ways because the whole goal of Satan is to deceive people. There's been a couple of times in my life, in my ministry, where I have seen the demonic realm manifested in regards to people that I've been counseling with or praying with. And in those moments... The Holy Spirit gives me the confidence in that moment to rise up and to rebuke those demons that are very prominent. It's there. It's real. You say, oh, there's no spiritual rim. Oh, it's very real. It's very real. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians to take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I think what we need to be aware of is the subtleties of the demonic rim. If you're just looking for something that is more prominent and visible, listen, he's at work. Work at the political realm. He's at work in the religious realm, education realm, societal realm. The demons are at work to be able to lead people astray. So we need to be in tune with the Spirit of God so we can know how to deal with this. But here's the situation. They're not able to find healing that is there. But notice when you see 
very clearly this problem, Jesus is now going to address it. So the problem is you have these scribes that are arguing because the disciples can't do something. There's this real situation. There's this kid that's here. But then the real problem is not just the boy. The problem is that there's a faithless generation that don't know what to do. Jesus said in verse 19, look at it. O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Now, why is Jesus saying that question in that particular way? Because Jesus, according to chronology, if you were to read the rest of the New Testament here in Mark and you would compare it to Matthew and Luke and John, you would realize that Jesus has probably less than a month left. So when Jesus says, how much longer am I going to be with you? Meaning, I've been here with you two plus years and you're still not getting it. Aren't you grateful for the patience of God with us? How many of us have had times that we have not gotten it? Or that God has had to teach us the same lesson ten times? I mean, he could say the same thing to us, right? Byron, such a faithless generation. I'm grateful for the grace of God. Because sometimes we have to be reminded of the same things. So we're going to talk about why did Jesus have to say that. So who is he talking to here? Is he talking to the scribes? Is he talking to the Father? Or is he talking to the disciples? I propose he's talking to all of them. Because nobody, not one person, could actually be able to heal this boy. Now let me translate it another way. Faithless generation means unbelieving generation. Remember what did Jesus say? The key central point of this passage of scripture is right there in verse 23. All things are possible for those who what? Believe. So the faithless generation are those who are not believing. So I want you to hear this. So let's talk about these particular groups and this, these faithlessness. But Jesus does something before we actually talk about the scribes, the father and the disciples. Jesus is going to address these particular groups of their faithlessness, their lack of belief. Now, some of you may be sitting there right now, and it's okay to acknowledge, say, man, I, I need more faith. I need to believe more. It's okay. Acknowledge that. But Jesus is going to demonstrate his power and why we should believe in him. Because remember what I said to you from the beginning. What we believe about him affects how we pray to him. So what Jesus is about to demonstrate that he himself is divine and has power over the demonic realm should give these individuals, the Father, the disciple, and us confidence that we should believe that our God that we're still praying to still has this power. What we believe affects how we pray. So what does Jesus do? It's not just what he says, it's who he is that we need to pay attention to. What happens when the boy who has a demonic spirit comes into the presence of Jesus? Look, verse 19 and 20. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, 
immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and wrote about foaming at the mouth. The spirit just had to acknowledge that Jesus was there, and he started putting that boy into convulsions again. Why? Because he's in the presence and the authority of Christ. There's two other occasions that I want you to see that this happens. That when Jesus shows up on the scenes and there's a demonic spirit that's present, they don't question who he is. They know who he is. Now you say, why is that important? Because the way that we pray and the way that you live and the way that you walk, you need to believe and have that same kind of confidence that you who are in Christ, remember last week we talked about living as exiles in this world. Here's the connection points that I want you to see. You live in exiles in this world, but you live as exiles with authority because God who reigns over everything is the God who lives in you. Remember 1 John 4, 4? John says, he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. Make the connections together. The he that's in the world in this demonic spirit right here is not greater than Jesus who's showing up on the scene. The demon that's present in this particular boy is not greater than the Holy Spirit who lives in you and me as believers. So when I'm praying, I'm believing if things are hard, I'm believing that God who was able to take care of this boy is able to take care of the situations that I'm facing because he has all authority. Let me show it to you. Let me show you just a couple of passages of scripture in regards to this couple of scenes. Look back at Mark chapter 1 with me. I'm just going to show you two here in the gospel of Mark. Both of these scenes, when Jesus shows up, there's a spirit, a demon that's on the scene. And they know very clearly, very quickly who it is. And they know that they're in trouble. Verse 21. Mark 1, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You get it? Jesus goes into synagogue Jesus goes into church and there's someone in the synagogue in the church who's got a spirit and he calls that and says you're here I know who you are what are you going to do with me he knows the authority of who Jesus is let me show you another one go with me just to John chapter excuse me Mark chapter 5 this is Jesus showing up on the scene this is a story of what's called the demoniac a man who has many demons that's within him he shows up on the scene and when he's there as soon as he lands on this particular place This man who has a demon, rather than running to Jesus, comes to Jesus because he knows who he is. And notice what he says in verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Here's what I want to tell you. Mark 1, Mark 5, and here we are in Mark 9. The demons know who Christ is. And the same is true in regards to this situation and in your life and my life. You say, how does that relate to you and me? Because when you place faith in Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, when you heard the gospel, believed the gospel, you were sealed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have God living in you. So God, who has authority over all things, Satan has no authority over you any longer. You've been rescued from him. And so in this passage of scripture, back to Mark 9, turn that back there with me. This is what's happening. Jesus is on the scene. So what's the faithless generation now? What about the scribes? 
we'll give you three different descriptions of their faith. The scribes have no faith in Jesus at all. None. Oh, they were religious. They knew the law. They knew the scripture, but they didn't have a relationship with God. It's like what Paul says. There's a religious who have the power of religious, but deny, excuse me, has the form of religion, but denying its power. There's going to be a lot of people who are religious who are going to hear these words from Jesus. Depart from me. I never knew you. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Outwardly appearing like you're religious doesn't mean that you actually have faith in him. So I challenge each of you with these particular groups. Ask yourself where you are. They were denying him. They were trying to find a way to kill him. I've already shown you some of those passages of scripture. I just want you to see, this is the faithless generation. After even they've seen all the miracles that he has done. I mean, actually, the, the previous time in chapter 8 and verses 1 through 10, when Jesus actually feeds the 4,000, there's two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, there's the feeding of the 4,000. After he fed the 4,000, the Pharisees and the scribes come up to him and says, hey, can you show us a sign that you're actually God? Really? He just fed all these people because, again, they're just simply wanting to jab him. Why? They didn't believe in him. Remember even all the conversations in John chapter 5, John chapter 8, when Jesus proclaimed to be God, it says they picked up stones to kill him. They didn't have faith in him. But what about the father? The father in this story, what kind of faith did he have? Because Jesus is addressing all of them as a faithless generation. He doesn't actually exalt any of them as anyone that's commendable. So what's the issue with the father? He has a weak and doubting faith. You see it in the story. You've already read it, but let me just... Look at this situation again. What is Jesus' encounter with him? Verse 21, And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it often cast him into fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. If you can do anything. Remember what I said? What you believe affects how you pray or what you ask. If you can do something... Help us. Now the word help there is in the aorist tense in the Greek, which means he's actually reaching out with great urgency, but his question is filled with doubt. If you can, because guess what has happened? His followers couldn't do it. So maybe he's thinking, well, they couldn't do something, so maybe, maybe you're not able to, maybe you can. But there's weak faith that's here. He's questioning whether God really has the ability to do this. Now here's what's so amazing to me in this situation. The boy's rolling around the ground. Jesus has having a conversation. How long has that been happening? Does anybody see the question here? Right? Like if I'm the dad, what, am I gonna, what are you going to say? Can you help him? Like he's thrashing around over there and Jesus is all calm. You know, how long has that been happening? It's been going on for a while. Does anybody see the humanity in the scriptures at all like this? Okay. Okay, so you see this moment because, again, what's happening in this conversation delay is because Jesus wants to get the heart issue of him. Could Jesus have just spoken the word and healed him? He did, but he's trying to get to the heart, and he does get to the heart. And that's why the father, almost like impatience, hey, if you could do something, because he's probably sitting there like, he's probably thinking, if I'm him, 
is he actually going to do anything? So it kind of reaches a point. It's like, if you can do something, help us. Because his father has been desperate for how long? The whole childhood. But here in this moment, he's weak. He's not really sure if Jesus is going to do anything. And I love this passage of Scripture. Because Jesus' response to him is in our English language with an exclamation point. If you can. Now notice it's an exclamation point, not a question. Jesus is not saying it like, let me just make sure I got that clear. Jesus knew exactly what he said. This is why Jesus comes back to him and says, if you can, all things are possible with those who believe. Listen closely to me. The issue is never God's ability. The issue is never in God's omnipotence. He's all-powerful. He's able to do all things. But the question is, if it's possible for it to be done, if it's doable, like we can't ask something that's against the will of God. We can't ask something that is simply contrary to his nature and his character because you can't say, well, that's just, it's, God says everything is possible. He cannot ever go against who he is. And he cannot go against his providential plan. So when we're praying, all things are possible. And Jesus is saying, as you know who I am, all things are possible with these things. So when we talk about these things up here, let me ask you some questions. Is it possible for God to save people who are far from God? Is it possible for God to heal people? Is it always his will? No. Can he heal people from addiction? Can it take long for some people? Can it be quick for some people? Can he rescue a marriage? Can he bring back a wayward child? Can he give you purpose and meaning? Can he restore your marriage? Yes. Can he restore broken relationships? Yes. All things are possible for those who believe. So when you're praying for those things and you say, Lord, I know you can do these things. But when we're praying those things, if it's any of those things, we also have to be willing to say, Lord, is there things in me that you also need to do? We're very quick to pray for everybody else and think the problem's with them, but we also need to be able to say, just like Isaiah 59, when he says, his hand's not too short to say, but where God started was with the sins of the person. Lord, if there's something in me, I don't want to be a hindrance to what I'm praying for. So God is able. So what could have happened here? Let me just kind of show you the difference in regards to what you believe affects how you pray. This father actually questions Jesus' ability. Now, obviously, he is in this particular region, and so he knows of some of the other miracles. He would have known about the 4,000. So if you saw Jesus heal 4,000 or feed 4,000 plus people, would you come up to him and say, if you can do this? I mean, if he took a sack lunch miracle to be able to do all that, would you actually come to him and say, I'm not really sure if this one's within your scope? I mean, you'd probably be saying, Lord, you did that, so surely you could do this. But how many of us are very guilty of forgetting what God has done in the past of our life? And not believing those past things that he's brought us through is also the same God who can get us through what's in front of us right now. So how could he have prayed differently? What would have been different? Because again, if it's what we believe affects how we ask and pray, it could have been like this. Instead of the father saying, if you can, he could have approached him and say, Jesus, I know you're the son of God. And I know that you've made all things. And I know about that 4,000 feeding. And I know my son's been suffering and struggling. And I know that you can heal him if you would choose to do so. But I'm trusting in your will of what's best for me and what's best for my son. You see the difference? 
So we can't go to God and demand things from him. That would mean we're God in the situation. Meaning to say, God, you have to do this because your word says you will do this. And you say, no. Remember what, what Jesus teaches how to pray in Matthew chapter 7? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. He didn't say demand. He didn't say barge the door open. He said seek, ask, and knock. And so here in the situation, what we believe in this man is saying, so he hears the rebuke. He hears what Jesus says. And so rather than defending himself, what does he say? I believe. Help my unbelief. Now let me show you a contrast of words here. Pay attention to verse 22 and the word help and the word help in verse 24. Let me just show you that, read read both of them and let me point out the difference. In verse 22, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It's in the aorist tense, meaning I'm urgent here. I'm not really sure you can, so help us. Then you get to verse 24. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. It's in the present tense in the Greek, which means the father is saying, help me now and continue to help me. Don't just help me in this one moment. I need you to continue to help me with my unbelief. How many of it's that description? God, I believe it, but help me. And continue to help me to keep believing that you can. How many of us will be willing to say, Lord, I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How many of us will be willing to say, I believe yesterday, but I'm struggling today? Just a few. Probably all of us at moments. If we're honest. But it's in this moment. It's in this moment where Jesus chooses to heal. It wasn't when he just pled with urgency and with doubt. It was when he actually acknowledged his question and his weak faith that Jesus then heals the boy. Because the father had to acknowledge his lack of faith. And then to trust in Jesus' ability before Jesus showed his power. Listen, maybe the delay is not about what you're praying for. Maybe the delay is because of you. Maybe the delay is because of something that God needs to work in us. Do Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus is telling them, you need to be able to have faith. And so what happens here? Now what's happening is, get the scene. Jesus comes down. There's a crowd of people hanging around the disciples. And the scribes are arguing. So Jesus then says, bring the boy to me. So apparently the crowd kind of hung over there for a while. And so Jesus is having this conversation just with the father. And then as it begins to progress, verse 25, there's a crowd comes running. They're running. And so in this moment, as Jesus sees the crowd, he's not about just trying for popularity here. He, this issue is about the father and his faith to believe in him. So and it's in that moment that he calls out to the deaf and mute spirit to come out of him. And it does come out of him in verse 26. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a court so that most of them said he's dead. Well, he wasn't dead. Jesus took his hand and he picked him up. So the scribes had no faith. The father was weak faith. What about the disciples? Very quickly. What's their faith? You think, would Jesus actually tell his disciples who've been with him for two plus years that they're lacking faith? 
Some of you are afraid to answer. The answer is yes. They were lacking faith in this moment. So what does Jesus say to them? Verse 28. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And again, as their footnote says in some of your translation, by prayer and fasting. Now, I have up there on the screen that the disciples don't have, they're not described by no faith. They're not described by weak faith, but they're described by little faith, meaning that they had faith, but they weren't demonstrating all the faith that they know they needed to have. And I want to show you this. How do we know that's because of the little faith and their lack of praying? Keep your finger here and look at the parallel in Matthew chapter 17. This story is so important on the inspiration of the Spirit. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. Now in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus answers it, or Matthew rather records one other element that we don't see Mark record. What does he tell them the issue is? After they ask the question, we'll pick up in verse 19. It's the same story. The disciples came to Jesus privately. This is Matthew 17, verse 19. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your, say it, little faith. Now, you've heard some people say, Well, this person didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith, or this didn't happen in your life because you didn't have enough faith. Certainly, there are times where our faith is important in regards to bringing about God's will, but we can't always equate that. But in this particular moment, very clearly, they didn't have the faith that they needed. But here's a problem. Is it because Jesus had not given them authority over demons? No. Because they had already had authority and they had already cast out demons. Look back at Mark with me. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 15. Something has happened. And I'm going to give you what I believe looking at all these scriptures and looking at the chronology that takes place. In Mark chapter 3, verse 15, notice what Jesus said to them as he called out and sent out his disciples. Mark 3, 15. And he gave them authority to cast out what? Demons. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 7 and verse 13. Mark 6, 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Verse 13. And they cast out many what? Demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So what happened between chapter 3, chapter 6, and then chapter 9? If they had the authority and they could cast out demons, they get to chapter 9 and they didn't do it. Here's the, the answer of Jesus tells them what was lacking and what they apparently were doing up to this point. If Jesus has to say to them, this has to happen through prayer and fasting and your little faith, it means between chapter 6 and chapter 9, they begin to wane in their prayer life. They were waning in their dependence on God. Listen. What needs to be a warning to us is not being presumptuous that previous victories gives us guaranteed victory today. We desperately need to be consistently on our knees, seeking the help of God, asking for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why when we get to the Holy Spirit series next... That's why when you get to Ephesians 5 and Paul tells about being continually filled with the Spirit of God, we all need to be reliant on the Spirit of God and not upon our flesh. Because when we rely on our flesh, we will fail. So you see here, 
What was Jesus telling them? Meaning that, did that mean that right then they need to lay their hands on the boy and pray for them? Probably they could have done that, but it's probably actually more indictive in regards to they had not been doing that in just their walking with the Lord. You know what the scriptures say to us about Jesus and his prayer life? He's the son of God. He would steal away to get away with God, to simply call out to God for God to help him. So what's the problem? We've got scribes who don't have faith. We've got a father who has little faith and God graciously corrects him. You know what could have happened in this moment? Jesus could have spoken harsh words to the disciples. But he was being a good father, being a good savior, to graciously correct them, to teach them what they needed to do. And some of us need to hear this teaching this morning, not as a way by which the enemy right now is beating you up. If the enemy is beating you up right now, rebuke him in the name of Jesus. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting you to be able to show you, listen... You need to be more prayerful. You need to be more dependent. You need to believe in the power of God of what he can do. All of us need to hear this warning. If the disciples could be presumptuous and just be depending upon what had been promised them and not relying, the danger could happen to us. You know this phrase. I will say it, and then you finish it. Those who have pride take heed lest he fall. Not being prideful in our past victories, but being reliant upon the power of God. Some of you, this morning, have some prayer needs that you feel on this, this stage. And you've placed them here asking for prayer. And some of you may actually have had the attitude of the Father and say, Lord, I'm putting it here, I'm not really sure if you can actually do something with it. My encouragement to you today is to switch your belief and say, God, I have given this to you and I know you can. I'm believing that all things are possible with you. And so some of you, when we have our response time, may want to come up and pray for these cards and your prayer needs to be, Lord, I know that whatever I'm praying for is possible with you. So I'm giving it to you. Some of you need to reclaim that faith and that belief again, but some of you may just need to actually stay in your seat and you may just say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief because I've struggled, I've doubted, I've questioned, but help me to reclaim your truth, your character, and who you are. And there's going to be people here in the, at the stage in front to pray in a moment when we sing. And if you need to come and grab us by the hand and say, would you believe with me for these particular things? We will pray with you, believing that God is possible to do all things. Some of you may feel like that you've come off the mountain and you feel like that you've been in the valley. You feel like, Byron, I haven't been on the mountain for a long time. I feel like the enemy has been attacking me over and over again. I want to encourage you to remember that the Holy Spirit who is in you is greater than the one who's attacking you. He has no authority over you. He will only take the authority that you give him. So some of you this morning may need to pray and believe and rebuke the enemy over your life and stop believing the lies of the enemy and say, Lord, I have listened to lies long enough and I believe in who you are. I'm believing that when you save me, you wash me clean. I believe that I'm your child and I'm forever yours. And so, Lord, if I have failed, forgive me. Help me not to walk in the truths of who you are. Some of you in this room may actually be like the scribes. And you know about Jesus? You know about God, but you actually have not repented and trusted in him as your God and your Savior. 
And so some of you today might need to take that first step. You might need to do just what Jesus says. You need to repent of your sin. And you need to place faith in Jesus and say, Lord, I I am a sinner and I believe that you are the Savior of the world. Save me. I give my life to you. And then you say, I am willing to follow you. Today, some of you need to draw a line in the sand. And that may be your first step. Lord, I believe in you. I don't know what God's speaking to you in this room if those who are speaking to you online. But today, he is able. And all things are possible with him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in this moment of response time, your word has been given. And we pray now for the power of your spirit to speak to our hearts. Those in this room who need to respond, those who are listening online that you have spoken to, God, I pray that in this moment we would be obedient. If it's bringing a card to put it here on the stage, if it's coming to pray for church family, if it is acknowledging you as Savior of the world, if it is laying a burden to you, then God, I pray that in this moment that we would truly believe, as your word says, that all things are possible with you. Lord, I thank you that there is nothing that's outside of your reach. Lord, I thank you that you have all power to meet us right where we are. So in this moment, in this room, and those who are listening today, God, would you meet us right where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand and as we respond, there'll be staff to receive you, prayer people to receive you. You come if God's speaking to your heart, and let's obey what God has said to us today.